0: And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company I've used personally for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And they are offering you, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount. Before I get to that, I want to highlight a couple of products. So, Footwear has been a big issue and we all know that these heavy duty work boots cause a lot of issues with joint health and fatigue. Listening to the responders in the field, the military in the field, 5.11 have reverse engineered and created some incredible footwear that is much more lightweight, just as durable and minimizes both fatigue and damage to the joints. One of those is the Norris sneaker. I have a pair of those myself. They are incredible. And the other one is the AT trainer that has the Atlas system, which spreads the weight of the load over the entire foot, thus reducing fatigue and long-term damage. Aside from footwear, they have the backpacks, I have the AMP pack myself, their civilian clothes, the jeans, the shorts, I absolutely live in these days. The flashlights are some of the brightest I've seen, and they last an incredibly long time on one charge. The list goes on and on. Now, because 5.11 cares about you, the tactical population, they are offering you a discount of 15% on every purchase that you make. So go to 511 Tactical, use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, and save 15% every time you shop. And if you want to learn even more about the company, listen to episode 338 with co-founder and CEO Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 368 of Behind the Shield Podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and I have an extremely exciting episode for you with the return of Mandar Apte. Now, Mandar was my guest on episode 132, where he discussed his nonviolence program and his journey from the petroleum industry into mindfulness and meditation and working with law enforcement. So we reconnected. Obviously, this time is very pertinent with a lot of the tension that's going on. And he was able to not only lead us through some incredible successes that he had with LAPD, but also with departments in Brazil. So that was among many other topics from Gandhi's work to the Mumbai terrorist attacks that they saw and a host of other areas. And at the end, he even leads you through a five minute meditation practice. So as you mentioned there, I highly recommend that you are not driving when we get to that very last bit, but you save that for the bunk room when you get home, whatever it is, when you want to actually unwind. I did it while he was leading it, and it was incredibly relaxing. So before we get to that interview, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever podcast app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback and leave a rating. Every time you leave a five star rating or feedback, it makes us more and more visible on the charts for people looking for a project like this. And as you are aware, there is so much incredible information within these 368 episodes that we have. And those episodes are for you. They're a free library. So all I ask in return is that you help share these amazing men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else on planet Earth that needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Mandar Apte. Enjoy. Amanda, I want to say thank you so much for coming back on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, uh, James. It's been two years, I think, since we were introduced uh, by a mutual friend. And I remember our conversation two years ago. A lot has happened in our lives. And I look forward to sharing a little bit of my work with law enforcement agencies.
0: Absolutely. And I think what you're going to bring to the table in this conversation is it's it's going to be different. You know, it's another completely different way of looking at it and and a more holistic approach, in my opinion. But the person, the mutual friend was Crawford Coates. I want to say thank you again to him for connecting us. Um, So my first question is always, where on planet Earth are we finding you today?
1: Um, I'm usually based in Los Angeles, but currently, since the last one month, I'm in Mumbai, where I grew up. I'm here with my parents. Uh, They are both senior citizens, 75 and 72. And uh, we all had that experience last five months of uh, lockdown because of the pandemic. Uh, So most senior citizens have gone through uh, like staying and doing their home chores without any house help and uh, we, yeah, we are all going through this shared problem, I think. So I'm here to support my parents during this lockdown. Uh, and it's quite humbling to, uh, to be here. Uh, people here are wearing masks, uh, almost everyone, all literally everyone. That wasn't the case in Los Angeles where, <laughs> where I was a month ago. So at least from that side, I, I feel uh, much safer when I go out.
0: Brilliant. Well, let's that's, that's, uh, explore that a little bit, because you've got a very interesting perspective of L.A. and then Mumbai. So tell me what your experience was living in L.A. from when COVID hit to, to when you actually flew over to India.
1: Yeah, so it's uh, interesting. Uh, what I, I was in India in January of this year, and I flew back uh, end of January. And we did see uh, news coverage of this virus in China uh, I, I do remember watching the news here in India in January and then when I landed in LA, uh, I think life was normal. Uh, it's, uh, it then became uh, the problem of Italy. It then became the problem of France and life was still going as if it's not our problem until about mid-March or end of March when uh, I think people got the seriousness of what was happening and how it had uh, come to the American shores. So mi- end of March I wrote a blog uh, just one week into the lockdown of sorts. Uh, little did I know that it's going to stay and uh, the world is not going to be the same again. So. Uh, six months later, I feel like uh, you know this pandemic has uh, affected the lives of everybody. If you have not been affected, then something's wrong with you. Uh, but the most impacted, I think, have been people on the front lines—not just uh, healthcare workers, but also law enforcement, having to do things beyond the call of duty. And I just feel humbled as a civilian. Uh, that, you know, there are people that are taking care of me uh, without my even knowledge. So uh, just gratitude. I think the this pandemic has made me even more grateful uh, about life in general.
0: Yeah, I think that that's something that we should, like you said, we should be feeling. We should be changed by this. I, I'm very optimistic that it's going to run its course, that we're going to, you know, go back to a normal that I hope is new because we're, more grateful. And we look at the way we're eating, the way we're farming, the quality of our air, some of these lessons that, that we've been taught. And the next normal is is a better version of what we had before. But Mumbai and LA are very similar in as far as kind of density of population and, and even, you know, pollution levels. So what did you see environmentally in LA? And then, and then did you have any kind of surprising um,
1: differences in Mumbai when you got to there too? Uh, Again, good question. So, the first thing I saw was, uh, again, I didn't go out too often in LA. Maybe once a week, I used to go for groceries. And then just because I'm driving, I used to go to the Santa Monica Beach uh, just to get some air and watch the sunset. What I noticed is uh, uh, in the beginning months, I think uh, that there was no traffic. uh, So, that for anybody who lives in los angeles <laughs> is uh, is a dream and uh, we could see the hollywood sign from where i live so that again was something that i had never like seen that explicitly so which means that the air was cleaning itself up uh and i think that's the broader uh impact of this virus is uh, it has somehow like rebooted uh, reset Nature has taken its time to heal itself uh, from the impact that, uh, you know, uh, human civilization has made over the years. In Mumbai, when I landed, uh, of course, it takes a long time to get out of the plane with all the, uh, you know, people in PPEs and masks and uh, getting through the quarantine like I was quarantined for 14 days before I could go to my home and hug my parents for example. Uh, So that I think the travel gave me a new perspective that this world is not going to be the same as it was Uh, and just because somebody will find a vaccine doesn't mean that people I will travel with will use a vaccine. So I think we need to now shift to how do we boost our immune system, James? Uh, How do we create a healthier body and a healthier mind? And people on the front lines like law enforcement need to be even more vigilant because you are more exposed to it than we are. So I think that's the discussion I would love to have is uh, ways to enhance your uh, immunity because that's in my control, right? That's in our control. Um, and not get freaked out with uh, the pandemic. It's, uh, it's. I think it's a focus that we all need to bring to the discussion tables. Media doesn't do it. Politicians are not doing it. I think we civilians have to do it. Is, uh, how do we improve our health and well-being, especially mental health and well-being?
0: yeah i I mean i couldn't agree more you 're preaching to the choir, and I love that you're you know thinking the same way and you talked about posting that blog that you did. I did the same kind of thing with a video at the beginning of this, pointing out what you 're saying. The men and women that we 're leaning into now, whether it 's first responders whether it 's a medical profession, often are some of the more overworked and sleep deprived members of society, so sadly, we are seeing doctors, nurses you know firefighters, police officers, medics passing away because of the COVID. And I think it's because of what you're saying. We we as general civilians need to take care of our mental and physical health. But we need to create an environment as well for our responders to, to thrive rather than to be broken down and, and even more vulnerable to a disease like this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and uh, what I have been doing last five months uh, is I've been reaching out to various cities and uh, law enforcement agencies, mayor's office, uh, for example, and offering the programs that we teach based on breathing and meditation techniques to law enforcement. And uh, the staggering numbers, like just yesterday, I read about 800,000 suicides every year. Uh, is the average. So now, with this pandemic here, uh, I put a bet on it that this number is going to be even more. And that means uh, you don't know who in your own family and friend circle is going through a mental issue because of the fear, the anxiety, the maybe uh, uh, unemployment, a lack of clarity of the future like all these things, because we can't read people's minds. We don't know who is the next person that I personally knew. And I think that is where we have to be on a vigil, right? We have to be on a vigil to uh, not assume that just because people are smiling, everything is all right. I think we have to proactively, I repeat, proactively give people tools to manage their inner well-being. Just like uh, James, we brush our teeth every day. Uh, We stick this piece of, uh, you know, brush, a a toothbrush in our mouth and we don't really enjoy it. Right. After you brush your teeth, you while you're brushing your teeth, you don't feel like, wow, I'm having the time of my life. (laughs) Definitely not flossing. You you do it because you want to prevent uh, dental decay, dental hygiene. And the same applies for mental hygiene. You need to build your uh, capacity to manage your mental well being as a daily habit. And that's where the role of meditation practice, yoga, breathing exercises, they are not just technologies that uh, are for the people living in the eastern side of the world. They are globally acceptable, now even proven medically. And I think uh, my request to law enforcement is, uh, yeah, just don't feel that, uh, you know, you, you are supposed to be macho and you should not be having any problems. We are all human beings and we are all going through trauma and pain in life. Nobody can take care of your pain. We have to take care of our own pain and trauma. And so do whatever you need to do. Don't ignore your own mental health and well-being and reach out to people like me uh, and many others uh, that can be of service to you. You are serving us. Let us be of service to you. Absolutely.
0: Well, I think a, a good place to start as a base for what we're going to talk about with the mental health side and obviously with the violence and, and, and trying to trying to bring solutions to the division that we're seeing on some of the streets in in the US at the moment. Um but I think going over your journey into the the project that you did with the movie uh, from India with love would be a good kind of recap for people that have heard the first discussion and if you haven't heard it I highly recommend that you hear it first. But also then you can kind of lead us through since you shot that film What you've seen as far as progress with, you know, law enforcement and gang members and all the other people that were involved in that project.
1: Yeah, so James, this documentary film is um, a labor of love, and it was made, it was produced in one month while I was on holiday in India. And at that time, I used to be a petroleum engineer. I used to work for a small company, Shell Oil Company. And I used to manage the innovation practice for Shell. While on my holiday, I uh, stumbled on a journey to India that Martin Luther King Jr. had made to study Gandhi's teachings. And I didn't know anything about this journey, like a physical five-week journey that a young man had made. And so that was the inspiration behind the documentary film is we all see violence in America especially and we have become immune, we have become like desensitized to violence. So my concept was if I can bring the victims of violence, of all skin color, of uh, both sides of the gun, then we all have trauma, we all have different trauma from different acts of violence and can we come together in the spirit of healing and transforming our lives. So can that be the way to unite hearts and minds? Is the search for inner peace, the search for solace? Because everybody is looking for it. Everybody has some of it, whether you are, you know, an African, black American white American or a green American, like all these skin colors that divide us. So that was the basis of the film. And uh, that documentary film was produced, like I said, in one month. And while I came, when I came back from uh, the trip to India, I had spent 10 days with uh, Black Lives Matter activists, a uh, former gang member from Los Angeles and the parents from the Sandy Hook School. And all of these are like brave individuals and they opened my life up. They showed me, uh, you know, uh, that they trusted me. They trusted me. They came to India at a notice of a week. And that showed me that you know humanity is still alive, like people still trust each other. So when I came back from this trip, uh, I could not work at Shell anymore. I uh, ended up quitting my job. Uh, and then I started taking this documentary to uh, inner city schools, prisons, juvenile halls, uh, police departments, just to get a feel for whether people resonate with the story in the documentary. And, The film was premiered by a very visionary police chief uh, of uh, Los Angeles. And that screening brought together about 500 people from the greater Los Angeles uh, neighborhoods. And uh, the community members uh, from South Central invited me to screen one more time in their neighborhood. And that is when I think my my life opened up uh because i had taken the deputy chief uh, of south bureau with me to that screening in the hood and uh, there was a police shooting just a few days before a police related shooting incident Uh, and there was a lot of anger in the room but the anger was not about me or my film but still it was showing up and so at the end of the film screening Because the film is about healing and human transformation, I led a meditation at the end of the film screening and I made people hold hands and pray for each other. That for me was a moment of transformation. Like I saw the power of love, the power of, uh, you know, connecting, uh, going beyond the uniform. Uh, And the deputy chief came out and uh, he thanked me for it. He's a very soulful. He's retired now. And he invited me to L.A. and he said, I can't send all of Los Angeles to India with you. Can you bring India to L.A.? So that's the work that I did last year in uh, in a very interesting, challenging neighborhood of South Central, uh, where um, I trained about 250 members of the various gangs in L.A., former gang members, community members who have been victims of violence, Uh, at-risk youth, and the LAPD police officers, all of them in the same room, about 250 people so far. And uh, the workshops were based on the theory of nonviolence and uh, the breath and meditation inner work. And what happened was just a miracle. Uh, On the first day, both sides, in this case, law enforcement and community members, I could feel the tension in the room. And at the end of the four days, uh, you know, four sessions, uh, I could see people opening up and going beyond the uniform. And so that was for me the most humbling aspect of my uh, adult life since I left Shell. And that uh, work continued. So we were invited by several neighborhoods in Los Angeles. And uh, I think that is the spirit of... uh, the work that needs to happen in America is uh, people need to see the value of human stories without looking at the uniform and there is a place that uh, civil society has. The civil society needs to take that responsibility of, uh, you know, bringing all sides and enabling uh, deeper conversations uh, around healing from trauma. Because we assume that, okay, you, just because you are a macho, you know, six foot male, 300 pounds, we assume that you have no trauma. And I think that's where we, we mistake. We, the trauma is part of everybody's life. Pain is part of everybody's life. But suffering can be optional. And so the final insight from this work that we have done now in, uh, in uh, cities like Albuquerque, Chicago, I was even invited to Paris and Rotterdam by the police departments, uh, is the need for uh, like an inner reconciliation, that there was a child in me, an innocent human being full of love and compassion that because of trauma, because of violence, somehow has taken a backseat. So can I come together to heal my trauma? I think that is where my request to law enforcement and community members is uh, create the inner mental space first and let the dialogue and discussion happen next.
0: Yeah. And it's it's, the analogy you use is something that I've talked about a lot. You get a a room full of toddlers, wherever they're from. It could be from, you know, Mumbai, from Compton, from England, you know, wherever. They're just going to play. They're going to chase a ball. They're going to laugh. They're going to, you know, do the things that preschoolers do and then obviously then they take their separate routes and they become a police officer a gangbanger a drug dealer you know a a, a ballet dancer whatever whatever route they take and when they get to the adults um, you know the adult community there's always that feeling or certainly at the moment of well it's too late we can't change it it is what it is and I disagree completely you reverse engineer to the young human we are a blank canvas so if you can be forged one way, then you can be reverse engineered back to that good person. And if you get a group of human beings in a room, and the perfect example is after a tragedy, whether it's the Mumbai shooting or 9-11, you see people band together, regardless of their background, because they connect with that human element again. So I'm extremely optimistic that we can find each other, you know, the commonalities rather than being driven these, these, these cleaves that we're seeing and, and, you know, labeling and dividing and pigeonholing. And, and to me personally, I see a lot of that coming from the very few people at the very top who gain from that. And we're all, you know, the, the violence that we're seeing on the streets, whether it's uniform, whether it's, you know, civilian, is all a symptom of a much bigger systemic problem.
1: I couldn't agree more. Uh, I just finished uh, teaching uh, our nonviolence curriculum to the mayor of Pomona and he had invited 20 of his civic leaders across the city of Pomona, including law enforcement, uh, former gang members, people who work in prisons, chaplains, uh, Pomona Unified School District teachers. It was a very beautiful mix of like civil society, right? And uh, one of these gentlemen, he had spent 44 years in prison. 44 years, like, frick, I'm 45 years old. Yeah. So uh, he said the breath exercises that we teach, the kriya, the sky breathing that we teach, lifted a huge weight of his shoulder. And in that workshop, we didn't get to know each other that well because uh, there were 20 other people. So I scheduled my call with him. And we spoke on Zoom. I am in India. So he was in Pomona. We spoke, James, for three hours and he shared his life story. I shared my life story and we both cried like buckets of tears. This man is 44 years for multiple murders. Who would imagine this man to have a story of compassion that would make me cry? I would never have expected it. And uh, he said something that will, that will, I'm sure, resonate with you. He said to me, hurt people hurt others, right? And I'm sure you have heard of this, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I said, yeah, I've heard this. So he said, wait, hurt people hurt others that we all know. However, healed people will heal others. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And I was so touched by what this man has said. And, uh, you know, he's now trained. He's I've certified him as an ambassador of peace and nonviolence. And uh, it's just humbling that, you know, uh, the other person that was on this class was the head of mental health for Pomona. And she was telling the, the group during the class after she learned the sky breathing techniques, she said, during the pandemic, their suicide hotline has has received 30 percent more calls over the last five months and she appreciates because she says my staff can't do the work alone like that's where civil society needs to step up and start taking responsibility for your own neighborhoods for your own communities for your own families and I think that is where you know we we the pandemic has uh, opened my eyes. Like th- th- man, this is making us care for each other even more than we should.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I think that what, that's what I found with the the actual logistics of the pandemic is again people have been you know forced to stay at home. It's kept away from each other. You can't you know touch. You can't hug. You can't do anything. So the polar opposite of what we saw, you know, again, 912, some of these, these incredible tragedies was, I mean, all these, these, these iconic pictures of people embracing each other, you know, that, that human experience. And I, I can't help but feel that COVID uh, the response to COVID has done the exact opposite even nature oh don't go outside so even the very healing nurturing element of the ocean of of a local park whatever it is the sunlight on your face has been taken away so there is no question in my mind and I've had you know numerous people tell me that you know domestic abuse has gone up and all kinds of of negative mental health issues have blossomed in this very toxic response to COVID.
1: Yeah, I think that's where uh, we need to step up. And those of us who are already familiar with Eastern wisdom, like yoga, meditation, we need to step up because these uh, tools have transformed my life. Like when I started about 18 years ago, nobody had taught me how to manage my emotions. I was just living as if, you know, you're like a Uh, Coca-Cola machine, like somebody pushes your button, you get angry. Somebody pushes your button, you feel sad. Somebody says something, you feel uh, dejected. But the person who makes you angry, sad, upset, if you observe them, they they have no such emotion, right? So you need to manage your own emotions and you need to be a master of when to choose to be angry. Then you are not a slave of the emotions and that is where we need to learn a little bit about life itself like okay i have a body but i have a mind and how do i manage the emotions in my mind because they are my emotions and so that is where the science that uh, you know is very precious is that every emotion has a breathing pattern of its own like anger frustration jealousy sadness depression and law enforcement you guys see those emotions on the street for sure 100 you have seen all kinds of emotions now if you are able to manage your emotions through the breath then you are more in control of your emotions right so that is where i would say law enforcement you guys come in the picture after an act of violence has happened yeah whatever it, the act of violence may be it could be suicide or even global terrorism And anything in between. And if you can now be part of the solution, if you can be now truly a peace officer, which means I'm not going to wait till an act of violence happens, I'm going to now actively promote peace. And if that is your leadership ambition of a police chief who may be listening, then that is where you need to come and learn about emotions. You need to come learn about How can the police officer be trained as a peace officer truly in the word and spirit of the word peace to actively promote peace, not just a coffee with a cop or, you know, a weekly town hall with a cop? Yes, all that is good. But that's where I think the next orbit change for a police department is going to be, I think, that you need to transform who you are and what is your mission? What is your vision? You need to do that soul searching because the world is waiting. You are at the crossroads. And that is where I think uh, I feel that your jobs are designed for failure. And maybe that's some provocative statement here. Your job is designed for failure because you are not uh, encouraged to heal from your own emotions. While you are doing your job, I'm sure you have seen suicides, homicides, depression, people hanging on a ceiling fan. Like all these are terrible events to go through. How do you deal with these emotions? Uh, Maybe you go for a drink, but does that help? Maybe you smoke. Does that help? That's where the science that emotions and the breath can be used to manage and clean the negative emotion the impact of the negative emotion post-trauma stress is what it's called right i think that is where a police officer law enforcement can really make a difference because if you can become a peace ambassador that's the game changer that's a game changer today but you will have to look inward introspect you will have to like you know Yeah, it's an internal cleanse. You will have to detox and then you will have to look at your own system uh, of policing. Uh, I think that is where civilians like me can help because the change doesn't come from from within a system that's very difficult. And having managed an innovation program for a large oil company, change from within is extremely difficult. So you may be a police officer who may be listening to me right now and uh, you may feel the the, the the inquisitiveness that, hey, wow, can I do something? But how can I do it? I have a whole system above me. I think that is where we need to find each other because together we can help amplify each other's game. Our shared mission is peace. And that is where I think, uh, you know, people like James and Crawford, uh, I appreciate their work because they, the stories are important, that there are people doing community police healing workshops together. Like, I would love to know who else is doing this type of work. So, James, I'm uh, uh, I i I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, even if one or two people trickle down, I think that is hope, right? And we don't lose hope. There, there must be, there have to be people who truly, genuinely care about being part of the solution.
0: No, absolutely. And I've had, just in law enforcement alone, I've had several people, Craig and now me, Uh, Ryan Tillman, Pat Russo, that have uh, done exactly that, gone into the community in a mentor role, you know, initially with, with kids, with young kids and, you know, brought just, just interaction to them, whether it's skateboarding or boxing or whatever, you know, their particular chosen outlet is. But that's another important thing. Yes, parenting is absolutely paramount to creating kindness and compassion in the community, whether it's parenting within our community, the first responders or parenting in the people that we serve. So that's, you know, that's always a, a discussion that's thrown out there. But we as uniformed personnel, whether it's, you know, police, fire, EMS, military, whatever, we also have an opportunity to, to penetrate a community in a positive way. And you mentioned about law enforcement being, you know, set up for failure. I agree. I feel like we are. Doing that one up element that I've heard Ed Coldron talk about in Mexico, like their law enforcement gets a certain technology or, or armor. And then, you know, the, the drug lords one up and they get, you know, a, a bigger gun, you know, more, more armor, a more advanced uh, vehicle. And so they're constantly having to, to level up. And to me, the underlying thing, for example, one that I use a lot is drug prohibition. That has created so much crime, so much hate in the world, and fed terrorist organizations and, you know, just all these horrible things. And that was based on hate and racism when we put that in. So we can even reverse engineer all the way up to some of the things that we're asking our law enforcement to enforce in the first place. There are countries that have decriminalized drugs that are doing incredibly well, that have almost no crime. There are countries that have legalized prostitution. Whatever people's view of it is, at the moment, it's forcing the women, and, you know, men and women into the shadows and you know, they're ending up murdered. So that's my thing as well is that, yes, we have created an environment that sets our civilians up for failure, that sets our prisoners up for failure and sets our you know, uniform personnel up for failure.
1: But there is hope. So, yes, it's set up for failure, but that is where innovators can come together and design systems change to be part of the solution because, you know, it's like uh, when a piece of uh, some dust goes in one of your eyes and you start scratching that eye. Have you observed that the left eye also feels the pain? (laughs) And the left eye cannot but close as well. Have you observed it, James? Yes, I
0: have. Yeah, my wife's an optician. So she points all kinds of eyeball stuff at me.
1: (laughs) That is is how we need to live our life. Like your pain is my pain. My pain is your pain because we share. We are shared. We are sharing this life together, right? Uh, And that is where we need to connect with each other and not see a difference, you know? Like things that divide us, there are many things that divide us, but where do you put your attention on? Do you put your attention on things that divide you or do you still go back and say, hey, no matter what happens, I'm still connected? I think it's just like a marriage. Like if you want to sustain a marriage or any relationship for that matter, you need to learn how to agree to disagree with each other. Yes, there will absolutely be things that I disagree with you, James. Sorry. (laughs) But on many other things, I agree with you. So let's come together in that spirit of what we agree on. Uh, Because, you know, breaking a relationship is very easy. Fighting, quarreling is very easy. But can we come together for the sake of our child? And at least have a commitment not to fight in the presence of the child. Like All these agreements can be made once we agree that we are in this for the long run. Like We have to figure it out.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And when, when I was saying about set up for failure, my point isn't, oh, so we're doomed, it's the opposite. You have to I look at that and identify it and then start pushing to change those elements too. So, you know, for example, saying, well, why, why is there tension between police and, you know, let's say some of the, the members in South Central? Well, there's obviously a drug and gang problem there. Well, why is there a drug and gang problem? Well, because there's illegal, you know, it, it, the prohibition of drugs. Well, why is that illegal? You know, and you go back and you look at the failure of of prohibition of alcohol, you realize that we've created an environment where it's very easy for someone to turn to crime, especially if they're, you know, they're struggling. So when you reverse engineers, my point is you can actually see solutions over and above what we're going to you know expand on now, which is tapping into that kindness and compassion. You can also fight the the areas that are setting people up for failure and change them. So now you create an environment that sets a community up for success instead of creating these toxic environments that are divisive.
1: Yeah. And I, I'm sure there are communities and, uh, you know, police officers and police officials that are thinking about this, uh, even in the midst of this, uh, you know, tension that apparently... Uh, is fueled by people on both sides. Usually that's what uh, analysis of any fight is, that it's uh, miscommunication of both sides and not generalized things, right? I think that is where we have to uh, not lose hope and keep working towards uh, mu- harmonious coexistence. And we have to drop our prejudice whatever the prejudice the basis of the prejudice may be for example you know uh, in los angeles while i was teaching this workshop uh, one of the police officers uh, in south bureau he came to me and he said he he's not very stressed uh, I, I don't think uh, sir i need these exercises i like them but i don't think i need them so i said okay officer uh, you know sometimes prevention is better than cure so great you learned it This is a toolkit. You can use it whenever you need it. Uh, The next day, the same officer is telling my assistant, a college student who liked what I'm doing and started helping me. And uh, he's telling her that, uh, you know, Alicia, I wake up every day at 4 a.m. But that day I woke up at 3 a.m. and uh, the lights were on and I I pulled up my gun and I started looking and probably there is a ghost in my home and Alicia came and told me this and I'm like what and this person is saying he doesn't have any stress so that is where I think uh, officers need to uh, f- yeah, acknowledge that they have challenges and their job is something that they, you will have challenges especially mental health, it it will be a challenge, right? Unless you are a Jedi. (laughs) Once you acknowledge your challenge, the second step is resources need to be provided to you by your department. Uh, That is not just call a helpline. Uh, You know, call a um, suicide helpline. I think that is where police leadership needs to step in. Do I want my officers to be mentally healthy and fit? If yes, what else I can do for them? That's where the police leadership needs to find novel ways of doing things. This is the 21st century it's 2020. You're not living in the 1800s. So that is where I think uh, police leadership, I would put them on the spot, not the police officer, police leadership. Please look at what you offer your own staff for their own well being, for their family's well being, and ask yourself, what else can you do? Does that make sense, James?
0: No, it does completely. And here's another layer to that, which I'm just going to add on to what you've been saying. So I've had some high level, you know, special operations uh, members of the military and high performing, you know, coaches and, and sports athletes. And in those worlds, mental practice is a huge component of what they do so you take that police officer not only are you using mental practice to deregulate the nervous system to try and kind of punctuate between a shift and going home to your kids but also mental practice can help you perform at a higher level so you get that person in your face at one of these these awful rallies at the moment and you're able to control your emotions you're you know you maybe get into a some sort of pursuit, and and you're you're able to perform where you're be able to go hands on rather than pull your weapon in that particular um, uh, example. So the um, the de-escalation element, the the flow state of being a high level tactical athlete, that is another element where mental practice, mindfulness is so important. So it's always kind of um, presented as a kind of mental health side, but well, people forget. We we need to perform at an incredibly high level as a first responder, as a member of the military. And mental practice is an incredible tool in the toolbox for us to have that mental acuity to make the right decision so we don't shoot the person we shouldn't have shot or conversely don't get shot because we didn't pull our weapon.
1: Absolutely. This is called situational awareness. And because I worked for Shell, refinery operators, uh people who are truck drivers, people who are on oil and gas platforms. We are trained in what is called situational awareness. right? It's called behavioral safety. And so what we did in Shell as a game changer, I had done this project, is implemented sky breathing techniques, the same breathing techniques that I teach, and measured the impact of that inner transformation on how more situationally aware a refinery operator or a drilling rig operator is. And in a way, that is what uh, law enforcement officers who I have taught these breathing techniques tell me at the end of the class that I wish I had learned this before because every time I go out, I wish I had a tool with me to take a time out because I'm going call to call to call, burnout and, you know, that inner well being is so important. Uh, James, I would like to check with you if I can play an audio track of two minutes. Uh, there is a police officer from Albuquerque that I have taught. I was invited by the police chief of Albuquerque to teach a program to 50 police officers of different ranks. So, here, can you hear my audio now? I I'm can. On the phone. Yes. Can you ask? why they wanted to be a police officer, why they wanted to go into law enforcement. It was because we want to help people. We want to make this a better community. We want to make this a safer, uh, more peaceful community. And as we look back, some of the things that Um, we've done over the years weren't successful or times have changed and our old methods um, aren't successful so now we have to start thinking outside of the box and looking for new opportunities and new ways to communicate it'll help relax yourself and uh, basically help you become a better officer a mediation session i kind of learned how something as simple
0: as breathing can kind of help you open your mind and really relax and kind of get rid of all those stress uh, participated in the session today i think my big takeaway or something that's very like helpful is as officers we're, we're commonly tasked with kind of like slowing down situations that are external so we kind of come and we're, we're it's part of our job to sort of bring order to chaos, and kind of de-escalate things. I think some of the skills, like the breathing exercises that we participated in today, can kind of do the same thing internally. So you kind of like slow down your own internal dialogue and in your thoughts, uh, which I think makes us more effective at, at
1: doing that extra activity. Thumbs up for now. Thumbs up, Thumbs up. Thumbs up. So the last officer said something that was gold, like, I was so touched by his like feedback. And uh, I feel like every officer deserves to learn about mind emotions and healthy ways of managing their own emotions. But that is only the first step. The second step, the more visionary step is can these officers now be trained as ambassadors of peace? Can they proactively go in the community and start teaching these programs, especially in communities with violence? What a powerful image that would be, a story of powerful hope. Uh, and officers are doing it, right? They are playing basketball. They are playing Uh, soccer games in the community relations, community building departments within a police department. This would take it um, a layer deeper and closer to your own heart.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And I think that's what we need to be looking at. I mean, sadly, you look back now, the George Floyd murder was completely unacceptable. And anyone wearing a badge, I'm sure, is, you know, is just disgusted by what happened there and then we've had the two compton um police officers just shot which is completely disgusting and you know if you just go back and forth well look what they did well look what they did well again we're not fixing anything so the people i've seen whether it's in the fire service whether it's in uh, the first responder i mean the, the law enforcement community that are reaching out into the community that are finding these young men and women and saying look You have the opportunity to go in all these different routes in your life. You can be like us, a police officer, a firefighter, or you can just take these skills and apply it to another profession that you want to do. But I think that we forget that we are role models. And I know that the law enforcement community is being dragged through the coals at the moment, but they are. And a lot of people do admire them. A lot of people look up to them. And, you know, there are men and women of all colors and creeds wearing uniforms. So we, we have an opportunity to positively affect a community. Can you go in the middle of a, you know, war torn gang corner of a community and, and immediately turn everyone around? No, it's going to take time. But like you said, if you're part of the solution and you can find proactive programs, whether it's through boxing or, you know, uh, law for law enforcement or fire, um, mentoring programs, you can make, you know, change one life which becomes two which becomes four which becomes 16 and then exponentially start adding another layer of positivity and fighting this toxic division that we're seeing at the moment
1: and we have already shown it right so if uh, if the world is looking for change they look at america if america is looking for change they look at trends they start in los angeles and new york so we have already started this in Los Angeles of all the cities in the world. And uh, just if you feel inspired by our work, whether you are a law enforcement officer or a civilian looking to be part of the solution, reach out to us and let's explore what we can do together. In not, Our program is not just breath and meditation exercises. We also do things that are culturally relevant to that community, like for example, in LA, uh, former gang members, uh, community victims of violence, and cops sat and wrote poetry together, and they, the amount of healing that happened—unbelievable. We sat and we, uh, you know, painted a mural painting on a wall, and that uh, you know brings people together. But only doing that is not enough. That is where our program is a little different from other programs of community police relationship building is we start with healing the individual and coming together from the space of uh, healed people will heal others, right? And that is when we need to look inward. We need to find ways to connect with our heart. And uh, it's 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 an honor of a lifetime to, uh, to serve those who are serving us. And uh, just make us proud. Just, you know, whatever you have done in the last five months of lockdown, you have gone beyond the call of duty and it's a thankless job anyway you have done it even more uh, so be safe out there and uh, don't ignore your mental well-being we are teaching these classes on zoom uh, you can sit in the comfort of your home and yeah let's make a beautiful world that's your mission as law enforcement as well and uh, you know let's uh, Let's find unique ways to collaborate to bring our shared mission to life of promoting a peaceful, harmonious, compassionate world. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had people on, um, like Tom Eberhardt, who's a prison governor in Norway, Bastoy is doing incredible things with the prison system. And then I just had another gentleman, Brandon Kelly, who is... The prison governor for, or superintendent for Oregon State Penitentiary. And he's using that Norwegian model and bringing it over. And they just built a, what they call a healing garden. So basically like a Japanese Zen garden. And, and seeing these, what starts off as an idea, one person saying, we're going to try something different. We're going to do something more humane, put the humanity back in what we're doing. The results are staggering. So even if people need statistics, they need proof. Look around at some of these progressive, um, you know, organizations that are breaking the mold and going back to the things that we know that nature is healing, that people yearn to be kind and compassionate to each other. They, they yearn to be belong to a tribe. Um, those are the philosophies that are going to change this, this awful division that we're seeing.
1: Yeah, the the work that you are doing, James, of uh, you know giving a platform and bringing stories of healing and hope, is a is a very powerful uh, God's work, I would say.
0: Well, I mean, like I said, it's only because people like you. I mean, I'm just the the you know the microphone basically that's that's the conduit between the two. So thank you so much. Now speaking of violence. You you know obviously are uh, a resident in L.A., but Mumbai is your home. I just want to kind of segue a little bit into the city itself and, and how they dealt with, you mentioned, not just one attack. There was the one infamous attack, but the violence that you've seen in your own city and,
1: and how they're able to move on. So, James, I think the last time we spoke was when I was organizing a delegation of American police uh, and peace activists coming to India to meet India's police and peace activists. I don't think we had a debrief from from what happened and what unfolded, but something magical happened is uh, we were able to pull together a very beautiful event where uh, 9-11 hero, uh, he was uh, NYPD senior executive uh, during 9-11 and uh, he was on our delegation and uh, we created an event where he honored the victims of the Mumbai police attack, the law enforcement officers and their families. Especially the family of uh, uh, Tukaram Omble, he's a policeman, uh, the bottom of the pile, but he was the person who captured the terrorist Kasab in that uh, deadly terror attack in Mumbai and uh, he died in, the, in, 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 that, uh, in, in that act of uh, you know, capturing the terrorists. But uh, Frank Straub was the NYPD uh, senior executive. Uh, he honored with uh, 9-11 Medals of Honor Tukaram Omble's uh, family members and a few other police officers, their family members. It was the talk of the town. We had imagined or reimagined 9-11 meeting 26-11 through the victims police families of both sides Uh, and I think that is where it's just humbling to see that we move on but uh, the scars of violence still remain and again police officers are called in for any type of violence like I said. In this case it was global terrorism right, It uh, it was an act of terror. Terrorism comes because you have a wrong understanding about life. Some faiths, some religions teach you that my way is the only way to God. And that is fine. But they add on one more aspect, which is other faiths and other ways are not (laughs) to be honored and respected. And if you go and kill those other folks, then you will get a better seat in heaven. (laughs) And I think that is where we need to educate. This is where that kind of prejudice uh, that uh, just it's like 2020, you know, we need to put a scientific curiosity to all the religious teachings that have been preached uh, to promote one particular religion over the other. Uh, it's, it's it's not okay. Because we need to honor life. We need to honor each other. And uh, usually, you know, some, some people of the Christian faith will say, I belong to the Christian faith. I pray for all the Christians in the world. That's not okay. You need to pray for everybody in the world. That is what the founder of your faith taught is unconditional love. The same is true with other faiths, right? Usually we will... Uh, only hang out with people of my faith and my religion. I think that is where we need to open the box. And we need to first recognize that we are all human beings. We share our human existence. Our life is very short. And that is where if we don't educate on these human values, even one part of the world, if it's left ignorant... We have both seen, America and India, we have both seen tremendously horrible acts of terror. Why? Because just those people believe in certain ideologies uh, that uh, are, you know, not acceptable. And to educate them is our responsibility. If we don't, then we are all going to suffer as a human race.
0: Yeah. No. and, And to me, as someone who... Yeah, you know, I, I just refer to myself as spiritual. I think there's there's common denominators in all the religions that I absolutely connect to, and I believe in a higher power, absolutely. But what I see is a, an interpretation of words that, in many many times, almost opposes the actual teachings of of some of these holy books. So, for example, I'm pretty sure if I met Jesus. He wouldn't be like, yeah, James, everyone's cool except the gays. You know, I think he'd probably be a pretty <laughs> open-minded dude that would love everyone. Like you said, regardless of color, creed, whatever, he'd just be like, people are awesome. And so would Muhammad. And so would, you know, all these different prophets that we've had. And I think that's what's crazy. And it's the same thing with race is there's through lines. There's, there's common denominators in all these. And, you know, even historically people look and, and wonder if they're actually the same kind of, you know, older book that's just been taken and interpreted different ways. But if if you take any sort of holy doctrine and you find hate and, you know, prejudice out of it, you got to ask yourself, am I reading this properly? Would this person, would this have even survived all this time if it was preaching hate and division and prejudice? When to me, what I see is the common denominator is at the core of all these is gratitude, love, kindness, and compassion.
1: I couldn't agree more. I would, I couldn't ag- absolutely agree with you. And uh, my meditation teacher is actually a Nobel Peace Prize nominee. He's a guru from India, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar is his name, and he gives a very beautiful analogy that I think you will you will love it. He say he says that religion is like the banana peel, and spirituality is the banana. So the mission of every religious path is to take you deeper inward to the banana, to the humanity in you. But what has happened today is we are hanging on to the peel and we are fighting against each other. We are saying "Hey, my way to the peel is the only way to the banana. (laughs) And the banana is on the ground. The human values is on the ground. Compassion, mutual respect, love, kindness, that's on the ground. And I think police officers, if you really want to be peace officers... This problem of global terrorism uh, is something that you need to educate yourself on different traditions, different cultures and see the commonality, not just stay with your end of the peel. And if you can actually taste the banana, the peace within, the tranquility within, the love within, that is what all religious scriptures have said. If you analyze them scientifically, right? Jesus said, kingdom of heaven is within me, right? Within you. What does that mean? That means go, t- take a dip inward. <laughs> Find the love and heaven inside you. <laughs> that same thing said Buddha. Buddha said the same thing, right? Buddha, surrender to the Buddha in you. I think police officers need to educate themselves with a little bit about each faith and... You can be a game changer today because of the power that you have, your power is in enforcing the law. And if you can now not wait for an act of violence, but actually take that mission of promoting peace, that becomes a game changer for your tribe.
0: Absolutely. And I think that that should be aimed at the religious leaders as well. I saw a beautiful example when the Grenfell Tower happened, uh, the, excuse me, the Grenfell Tower fire happened in London. And the, the initial following day or two, the administration, the, the, the governmental agencies that were supposed to come in just didn't. So you saw mosques and temples and churches and all these religious leaders Banding together, opening their doors and helping this completely diverse uh, group of residents from this horrible, horrible tragedy. So, again, that's the that's the common theme. Each of these religions express their kindness, compassion and love, whatever their, you know, holy book that they were holding. And that's what other religious leaders around the world need to look at.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Right. Well, speaking of that, I've got a very bizarre kind of tangent again, but I would love to hear with you being, you know, from India, with you studying Gandhi and then obviously Martin Luther King's um, journey there as well. It's kind of a, you know, a, a dark chapter of, of my forefather's path, you know, the British. So can you just run me through Gandhi and how he was able to overthrow the British using nonviolence?
1: Um you know, it's a, it's a complex problem, right? So there is no, I do not feel there is only one person who made it happen. I believe a multiple series of dominoes fell together in place. Uh, like the World War, the Second World War had happened, uh, Britain's economy had crumbled. Uh, it was getting extremely costly to maintain this foreign occupation. Uh So all that needs to be uh, analyzed, not just one man did it, right? I think that is where we need to really acknowledge that, yes, Gandhi did play a huge role to hold the space for nonviolent opposition, nonviolent struggle. Uh, But there may be other factors that uh, history doesn't tell us or doesn't obviously point to the fact. But your question is more about Gandhi. So I think uh, Gandhi becomes uh, the latest, I would say, uh, the last person that uh, implemented non-violence as a philosophy that has been India's philosophy. Ahimsa is the Sanskrit word. And uh, he, he lived those values. So what is Ahimsa? Ahimsa, the word is broken into two words a like a and himsa h-i-m-s-a himsa means violence a himsa means means a lack of violence and so that is india's philosophy that uh, violence then if you analyze it himsa is in three levels the first is a level of action there's violence in our action whether it's uh, hitting someone or even sending an email that You copy 20 other people that don't need to be copied and you create turbulence in the people who read your email. So that's one level of violence, is violence through action. Second level of violence is at the level of speech. By creating hateful, hurtful words, you can create violence. And the third, more subtle level of promoting violence is through thoughts. Thinking bad about someone feeling bad about someone right so these are the three levels of himsa and so ahimsa lack of violence india's philosophy believes in if i'm able to handle my thoughts and feelings and if i don't get negative thoughts or negative feelings then i don't need to worry about speech or actions because what is speech and action driven by thoughts and feelings and that is where the science of yoga meditation comes in if you can keep your mind at peace then you are living ahimsa does that make sense so far
0: oh absolutely a perfect example i think is um uh what they call that oh, i'm blanking on the name anyway when you get angry driving when you're at peace when you're distracted when you know, you just had something happen in your life, someone can cut you up in your car and you just, you know, might kind of shrug your shoulders and then move on. Now, take that same event and you're a firefighter, you've just come off shift, you're exhausted, you've just, you know, have whatever happen and your your mind is in turmoil, you might want to drag that person out of the car and and beat them, you know, so, and the only difference, like you said, is what's actually going on between your two ears at that moment.
1: Um, I, I mean, I have had that experience so many times myself, uh, driving through traffic, if somebody is driving slow in the fast lane, uh, the first thing you do is like, shit, get out, right? But then you realize <laughs> that, oh, my God, what if it was my grandmother driving that car? How would I react or respond to that situation? And then you say like, oh, my God, I should be more compassionate, <laughs>
0: Yeah, or or I had as well, where I have been, you know, flinging my arms around and all angry. And as I pass a person, I realize they don't even realize they did it. So what an idiot I am to be having a tantrum in my car and the other person is completely unaware of what they did. So it's completely on how I react to the situation.
1: Yeah. So Ahimsa becomes a leading life uh, transforming philosophy. And uh, that's where, uh, you know, uh, for example, another point that we talk about in our workshop is, let's say you are um, at a gate, at an airline, uh, you are on your vacation, you need to go, the flight is delayed, and uh, the air host, uh, the person at the counter says, the flight's delayed another four hours. Eh? Let's assume this is your scenario. And uh, a man gets up, goes and shouts at this uh, person at the counter and says you guys are always late this is horrible cusses them and you know freaks out at them and you look at the situation and you say like dude come on like what can she do about it <laughs> right and then this person comes and sits next to you and looks at you and says aren't you mad and you look at that person and you say uh, but sir, it's out of my control, out of this person's control. It's the weather. Why are you so upset if you ask that person? And that person then shares a very soulful story that, oh my God, this person has to leave, has to reach on the other side because he's the only one uh, and his mom is dying, something like that. Then you suddenly, wow, I judged you, but yes, you should be freaked out. But You know what I mean? Like that's where violence starts. Is at the level of thoughts. And so that is where uh, it becomes a lifelong journey. It's not just you breathe, you meditate, you do some yoga and you are nonviolent. It's a lifelong journey and uh, it's a long journey. And uh, nonviolence, the lack of violence uh, means peace to some people, but that's not enough. It means love to some people, but that's not enough. It's unconditional love. Love with no conditions. So it's not mother's love, right? Mother's love has a condition, it's my kids. Unconditional love. And uh, when I teach this class, non-violence class to police departments, this discussion comes up that you want us to not use our weapons? (laughs) And I tell them, no. Because why are you doing your job is out of unconditional love. And you are arresting someone, you are catching the bad guys because you don't want them to repeat their crime and hurt other people. So violence in that sense when your intention is to protect and serve is perfectly okay in the theory of Ahimsa. And that will blow up the left liberal crowd of nonviolence hugging everyone—that's not nonviolence. Does that make sense, James?
0: No, that's amazing. I've never heard it put that way, but I agree 100%. And I think that's again what's lost in this painting: all police officers are racist and all this kind of stuff. Is these are men and women who leave their family. And go work in a diverse community amongst other diverse, you know, police officers and might not come home. Might get shot like those poor, you know, police officers that were just shot in Compton. Thank God they survived. But so, yeah, absolutely. There's kindness and compassion behind what we do. Are there some bad apples? Yes. But I mean, this is not the profession you go to to want to hurt people because it takes so much effort to actually become a police officer and all the training and that kind of thing. But then and another thing I talk about is then you also have to understand that that compassion exists for yourself. So just like you pointed out, this facade of big, tough guy, that is exactly that. It's a facade, a true human being that wears a shield, wears a badge, is compassionate to others, but also is compassionate to themselves and has to acknowledge that sometimes they're going to struggle. Sometimes the things that we do and see. Are gonna they're gonna hurt? Yes, yeah, and
1: you know, very well said. Like self compassion is where it all starts. Self care is all. It's where it all starts. So if you go back to Gandhi again, Gandhi did a lot of self care and a lot of internal introspecting work. He said, "If I'm busy, I meditate twice a day." That was lost. People don't know the inner work that this man did. It's a lot of inner work. It's a life. It's a lifetime journey. So where your profession comes in, I think is because you have power you have a weapon you have a uniform and you have to you know uh, get people who don't follow the rule of law there is a power you have a you have a power inside you you have influence inside you and you are being looked at with a double lens right double lens so one mistake and that's it for you thousands of good acts nobody cares and that is why you need to now look at internal transformation. That is when you need to look at the next orbit, an orbit change. And that is where you need to now look at, from my humble uh, point of view, promoting peace, not waiting for an act of violence. If you can do that, that's a game changer for you, for your profession. And if one department does it, the ripple effect will be unbelievable
0: yeah i, I agree 100 percent.
1: you really have to be non-violence ambassadors for which you need to now learn the word non-violence is not no violence it's ahimsa ahimsa means unconditional love and anything you do from that intention of unconditional love which you anyway do in your job stretch it Go deeper in that philosophy, learn that philosophy, implement that philosophy to the core, and make us proud. Because you, you are the game changer today. You have that power to transform society. So don't stop. Don't stop. Uh, it's, a, it's a long journey. It takes grit and courage. But the day you signed up for that job of yours, that's the day of courage for you. That's when you showed up for courage, right? It's not your on your uh, beat that you go. That's not your first day of courage. Your first day of courage was when you signed up for a job that not many people go towards signing up. So I, I plead you, you have a lot of responsibility on your shoulder. Don't ignore your mental health and well-being. And yeah, we are here to help. So, reach out
0: absolutely well i want to talk about that so so tell me about some of the tools that you have available some of the programs that people actually can can join and start learning the philosophies that you're talking about
1: yeah so what we have done is we have created a 60 minute uh, introductory module uh, that's available online and uh, that uh, any officer can do on his phone Um, and if uh, if Uh, At the end of the module, I also have a guided meditation so that you can use that every day. Like just like I said, brush your teeth every day. So learn how to meditate every day. If you like that one hour module as a department, then uh, the next step we offer is uh, workshops on Zoom. Uh, And uh, these workshops are four sessions of about two hours each day. At the end of these four sessions, you will learn a very rhythmic, very um, profound uh, set of breathing techniques that you can use every day, that you can learn in four days. And it will make a profound impact on the quality of your life, the quality of your sleep, the quality of your judgments. And uh, daily practice has shown that it impacts uh, you know, your health and well-being, stress hormones, uh, alpha-beta waves in the brain. Like All these good things have been researched on this technique. It's called Sudarshan Kriya, sky breathing exercises. And uh, the next step is how can you become a trainer? Because you, know, you can teach your tribe much more effectively than okay. I can. So then the next step is a four uh, session program where we train you on how to train other police officers. Uh, We are doing this training very actively in Brazil. For example, the military police in Brazil, about 2,500 police officers and all their senior leaders, uh, including the Lieutenant General has done this program. And they now uh, breathe for 10 minutes before they go on their beat. So, as a team, in your roll call, you can be the change. You can say, "Hey, let's do some inner work before we feel ready to go out on on our job." It uh, will help you, like, ground yourself, connect with other people in your team, and that that becomes something beautiful, a story that you know the world is waiting for. Can you imagine the story where uh, police officers are taking a time out of for their own mental health and well-being? Communities will love it. Communities will love it. You don't wait. Like, you know, communities may ask you today because they have the power today. They have the voice today. What if communities ask you prove to me that you are mentally fit to police me? And then your police leadership is is dumped because all they can say is yeah you know we offer a suicide hotline and we offer counseling and the communities might come back and say that's not enough what else are you doing so don't wait for the community to put you on the spot do it proactively do it what risk do you have you you will have better health you will have better well-being better teamwork and you will carry that piece during the day We have already done it in L.A. That's the videos that, you know, James, you can share a link uh, on your uh, website. We've already done it. It's already being done in Brazil. Now, talk talk to me
0: about Brazil, because, I mean, when I think of some areas like Rio, I mean, you you think of a very dangerous place. I actually worked with a a Brazilian firefighter who was a member of that, you know, the military police. I think they did both. They went police and then fire um, and you know, he told me some of the stories. So, what are what are some of the the stories of success you've had from Brazil after doing the program?
1: So, the lieutenant general, um, he did the program um, in his uh, you know personal capacity with his wife, and uh, he told us that the violence that you see in uh, cities like LA or Chicago is nothing, and we were like, what? And he said, "Come to Brazil." So that is where I got exposed to, uh, you know, the tremendous level of violence, including police brutality and uh, community tension, like thousandfold, I would say. And the stress on the job of such a police department is ma- is mammoth. So that's where they started. They have uh, now trained about 2,500 police officers. That's a lot of police officers from the Brazil military police, these macho men and women. And then they did something very unique. They said, you trained us. We enjoyed it, but we don't want you to leave. (laughs) So that's where we started training them. Like, okay, a police officer training his unit is much more effective than, you know, we training... Because you already know each other. So that is where we created the train the trainer program. And then uh, they started creating like uh, uh, mobile units where because they have to go in the favelas and they have to go into deeper sections of the community. These 10, 15 police officers, they start their day with uh, inner work. They breathe for 10 minutes using the sky breathing techniques we have taught them. And the testimonials you have to hear, not just about improving their health, sleep patterns, relationships. People stop taking, uh, you know, um, alcohol and addictions go away. Their behavior changes like that's the inner transformation. And then community relations become much easier because once you have a peaceful, caring, compassionate person, uh, the actions will also follow. I think that's the that's the model that I would say, even if one police department uh, implements in America and you become the next Montgomery, Montgomery is where nonviolence was reimagined by Dr. King and his colleagues. Can your city be the next Montgomery of the 21st century when nonviolence was reimagined? And can you be the nonviolence ambassadors? Community members and police officers together promoting, actively promoting peace and nonviolence. And we have already done that in a, you know, small neighborhood in L.A. That video James will share with you. And we are here to help. Uh, this is, uh, I would say, the need of the hour in America.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm so excited. I think Brazil is, is an incredible example as well. If, if you're having you know, buy in with them and then and then results and testimonies. I think that speaks volumes because I agree what we see and hear from Brazil. And I, I'm personally not directly connected to it, but I mean, you know, you talk about the street kids being being executed in, in past years and the horrendous murders that you see in the streets. I mean, if they are finding you know, great uh, results from it. And obviously this is a country that also has jujitsu. So there's that cross-pollination between martial arts and mental practice too. Um, It makes perfect sense. And that's the thing. Someone's already done it. They've already tried it. They've already led from the front. So all we need to do now is just join them.
1: Yeah, I think you are sitting. It's a game changer. I would say if we can train police officers to train uh, their own uh, teams Uh, in breath, meditation, non-violence work. And uh, imagine a scenario where police officers are teaching actively in a school uh, because school violence is something that disturbs everybody. Every parent is disturbed. And so why can't we go and train kids in school? If that's a game changer idea like cops training kids in peace
0: <laughs> yeah no i think it's amazing absolutely amazing all right well i know that we're going to do a, a short guided meditation with you at the end of this interview so i want to just put the uh closing questions out there first yeah so i think i asked you last time but but uh, i would be interested to get any new answers from the last couple of years so first one is there a book that you love to recommend it can be related to what we've discussed today or something completely unrelated
1: Uh, Can I give two? Yes, please. The first book is uh, an innovation-related book that uh, changed my life. The title of the book is Ignore Everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you have a new idea, when you have a disruptive idea, uh, many people will come to you and say, that's stupid, James. I don't think you should do this, right? So that uh, is is a very beautiful, very light to read through cartoons It's called Ignore Everybody. It's available on uh, the internet for free, download. Uh, The second book is a book uh, I, I, I really like. It's called Celebrating Silence. And so usually silence, when you think of people in silence, it's usually when we are mourning somebody's death. But can we make silence celebrative?
0: Yeah, I love that. All right, so the same question then. Is there a movie? So just to, to recap again, the, the documentary you made was from India with Love, and I will put that link on the webpage. So any other movies or documentaries that you've come across that you like to recommend?
1: Um, I spent uh, 24 years in America. The first film I saw is what I recommend because it was my first uh, <laughs> say, film when I had left India. Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I I really love the way the film and the story is told.
0: Brilliant. My wife is from Ohio, and we just went to visit the Ohio Reformatory, which is where they shot that whole film. And you can go into the prison, and they they built a new prison, so they left the other one standing, and it's it's kind of run down now, but it's basically a museum. But if you love the movie, it's amazing to visit, but also to really experience as someone who's never been the wrong side of a prison wall. Um, to see, you know what what it was like in there. What it must be like, as you said, to spend four more, you know, four or more decades in a place like this. You know, is there a better way of us doing that too?
1: There is another film I watched during this uh, last six months, uh, and I would encourage all my white friends to watch it. White American friends, especially, but it doesn't have to be like I'm neither black nor white. I enjoyed it. I loved it. It's called Hello privilege
0: I will have to put that on my list then
1: it's very insightful it's a white woman Chelsea Handler she's a comedian and uh, she has put something that the people can use to have a discussion on the dinner tables she, I think she has done a fantastic job in the storytelling aspect of the the film and making herself very vulnerable I think that is what, what I like about how she has uh, put the story out there
0: yeah you know, I think it's funny because I've heard people discussing the whole privilege thing. And to me, we talked about gratitude at the very beginning of the, the conversation. I always talk to my son as we walk to the bus every morning about what are we grateful for? So I think, you know, if you woke up in America, you know, there's a good chance that you've got a huge amount of things to be grateful for. So most of us should feel privileged. You know, we're not in Syria during the bombing. We're not in Lebanon right before it got flattened by that horrendous explosion. We're not in Afghanistan, having you know, Al Qaeda hunt us down because our children are trying to educate themselves. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of focusing on white privilege, but I think American privilege in general, as a, as a nation, whether it's you know the US, the UK, Australia, we all need to remind ourselves how lucky we are, and that might recalibrate a lot of things too.
1: Absolutely, and that is what I learned as well when I led my delegation to India. Is uh, just traveling with a group of strangers uh, with different life experiences, it makes you really humble of the privilege that we all have. It's not like I don't have privilege. I do, but I become aware of it only when I see people who don't have that privilege. So the contrast, I think if you if we can as leaders, police officers and especially police chiefs, I, I put you on the spot in, if you're listening. Put yourself in the shoes of people who don't have the power that you have. And uh, maybe it needs you to take a trip outside America in the favelas of Brazil, uh, in in South Africa. Like that's when you will grow as a leader.
0: I love it. Absolutely love it. And speaking of South Africa, another mentoring program, I had uh, Tom Hewitt on the show, who's a a surfer, very good surfer, very well-known and respected. And he... Was English, but he ended up staying in South Africa and helping get kids off the street. So they used surfing as a program to, to teach them to surf. Some of them went on and became professional surfers, but a lot of them, it was an outlet. And then they would do counseling on the beach after they would surfed. So it doesn't matter who you are and where you are located. You have the ability to positively affect your community if you just take those first steps and decide to be part of good
1: i agree with you james uh, we all need to like recalibrate uh, and just test our assumptions that uh, you know sometimes we take life for granted and you don't know when you know you will <laughs> be forced to leave the planet you will not have any time to say bye bye
0: <laughs> no <laughs> All right, so the next question, is there a person that you recommend to come on the podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world?
1: Um, I, I mean, there are many. Uh, I would request you to reach out to a former uh, deputy chief. Is that okay? Yes. Yeah, he spent 35 years in the LAPD. We became extremely good friends. He's the one who invited me to Los Angeles and uh, he is the former deputy chief Los Angeles Police Department South Bureau, which is, as you know, the most uh, (laughs) dangerous bureau. And uh, his name is Dennis Kato, K-A-T-O. And I think he is a very soulful leader, not just a cop. I think I think Dennis is just a soulful man. And uh, he and his wife did the meditation workshop with me again in their personal life because they were touched by the film. They were touched by the documentary film. And uh, he personally did the breath exercises. And that's when he said, why don't you come to L.A. and, uh, you know, create something that uh, we can all be proud of is uh, that my work would not have happened without Dennis in my life.
0: Beautiful. Yeah, I would love to get him on. I don't know if you're able to connect us or not,
1: I don't delay things, so I will do it as soon as we hang up.
0: <laughs> perfect, <laughs> perfect. All right. So the very last question before we do the uh, the meditation, what do you do to decompress?
1: What do I do to decompress? Um, so I don't. I I have a daily practice of about one hour that includes yoga, breath work. And meditation, which uh, I've been doing non-stop without a break for 18 years. Wow. So for 18 years, I hold myself accountable that I will make time for myself. Nobody else can do it for me. And whether I'm traveling, whether I'm, uh, you know, uh, busy with my projects when I was working at Shell or even now, I make that one hour for myself and other than that for me decompressing comes from uh, reading talking to my parents these days we play cards every night uh, i have two nephews uh, and whenever i feel low i call people and ask them how i can help them so usually people when they are feeling low they will say leave me alone Um, What I discovered in my own self-discovery journey is whenever we are feeling low and if we go and help somebody, that person's energy comes to you so that I do it as a ritual. Like whenever I feel low, I go and help people that I don't know. Say, how can I help you, sir?
0: I love that. And I found that so many times in, in conversations on this podcast. Altruism has such an incredibly powerful healing element to it. So I always tell people being kind is is selfish in a way because it feels good. Which so when people question as we said, you know, religious doctrines or whatever it is, just listen to your body. When you're mean to someone, how does it feel within yourself? You feel like an asshole. You know, your body tells you what you just did was horrible. But when you do when you have an act of kindness, It's extremely rewarding to yourself as well. So I I couldn't agree more. I think that's such an important thing when it comes to mental health, healing. And like you said, even if it's just mood improvement, you help someone else and you make them smile, that immediately lifts you up as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but it's an experience like reading about this, listening to me, talking on this podcast is one thing, but actually trying it out for five days (laughs) and seeing whether what mandar and james were saying is it real or were they faking
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's for them to find out (laughs)
1: learn by doing
0: (laughs) absolutely well speaking of meditation so you had offered to guide us through a five-minute meditation if people were driving i would say hit pause and then do it when you get to wherever your destination is but uh, i will give you the microphone
1: thank you very much james so let's sit comfortably let's sit with our spine straight and if you have had a long day and if you feel like lying down that's also okay but if you can sit with the spine straight that way you will not fall asleep Uh, and let's close our eyes and let's just check in to the most important aspect of our life our breath and let's follow the breath. Let's observe what happens when we breathe in and when we breathe out. Incoming breath energizes the body. Outgoing breath gives relaxation to the muscles. Let's observe this phenomenon, long deep breath in. And slowly breathe out and feel the relaxation in the shoulders, rest your shoulders. Once again, breathe in, bloat your stomach. and breathe out and relax your navel, squeeze your tummy. Once again consciously breathe into your navel and consciously breathe out and relax your chest muscles, relax your navel. Final round, breathe in with a smile even if you have to fake it and notice how the face muscles relax as you smile. And breathe out with a bigger smile showing your teeth, relax. Take your attention to your feet, breathe in and make any necessary adjustments and relax your feet on the floor, let them rest. Attention on your legs and the thighs, breathe in. As you breathe out, relax your thighs, relax your legs let them rest attention on your navel chest area breathe in breathe out and relax your stomach muscles chest Attention on the shoulders and both the arms, palms, wrist, breathe in. As you breathe out, relax your shoulders, palms, fingers, let them rest on your laps. Attention on your face, breathe in, breathe out and relax your face, relax your eyes, relax your forehead. Attention on the whole body from your toes to your head, breathe in, breathe out and relax your whole body, let it rest. In this state of silence, let's remember our near and dear ones, family members, friends, and the communities we live in. And send them your love, send them your blessings, so they can be happy, wherever they may be. Whenever they are happy, we are happy. Breathe in with a smile and breathe out and relax your whole body. Honour your own breath, the source of our life. No breath, no life. Breathe in with a smile as if you welcome a guest in your home. And breathe out as if it is your last breath. long deep breath in and let go slowly and gradually become aware of the surroundings become aware of your body and taking your own time slowly gradually rolling your neck A few times clockwise, a few times anti-clockwise, moving your fingers and toes, whenever you feel complete, we may open the eyes. How was it james excellent
0: i love i love guided meditation myself like i said i i've done it my through different um outlets i love headspace people listening, uh, the app is very good as well but um yeah i mean i've never never had a meditation where i didn't feel anything other than better so thank you so much
1: you're welcome james uh keep doing your good work you're doing god's work as i said and uh If you, I will keep inviting you to my workshops uh, because I think it will be good if you can also participate and experience the benefits so that you know what you are uh, advocating in a way.